The world of real estate investing is always changing. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, attorney and author Natalia Willett Grice has the expertise to provide valuable guidance on how to navigate the complexities of real estate investing. This is the Legacy Academy. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law. And with me is my wife, attorney Natalia Willett-Grice, the owner of LCO Law and the author of the new book, How to Manage Florida Rentals and Win in Court, In Less Time with Less Conflict. So in episode five of this season, we talked about evictions. So today we're going to start discussing lease agreements and how they can be used to ease the process of evictions if you have to go that route or how to mitigate that altogether so you can protect your investments with this extremely important document. So, Natalia, I think most investors are aware of what a lease agreement is, but can you explain the difference a little bit between a, a written lease and an oral lease? Sure. Uh, so, one of the big things that I notice when people come and, you know, they're having problem with their tenants is, you know, ask them, like, I need a copy of your lease. And they say, well, we don't have a lease. Mm. <laughs> and they don't realize that the oral agreement to pay money in exchange for being able to stay in that property is a lease agreement. It's just an oral lease agreement, right? So the difference, I would say, the major differences are when you've got an oral lease, you start out with what the Florida statutes require of landlords and tenants, and then it's your words. Like, sure. you know, the amount of rent or when it was paid or that kind of thing. Whereas when you have a written lease, it's the opposite. It's the terms first that you've written down. And then for what you didn't cover in your lease agreement, the Florida statutes fill in those gaps. Right. Okay. So that's the easiest way to explain the difference between the two. And how would you say like the, the standard Florida lease, the one that is impugned on you? If you don't have one written, how would you say that is as far as protection for uh, for a landlord? So it's very bare bones. Um, it, it's, you know, mostly the Florida statutes deal with saying like, hey, uh, here's when you would give notice uh, or how long you have to give notice if somebody stops paying rent. Um, here's how much notice you have to give people to end an oral lease agreement. Um, so it's very notice-based. There are a couple of sections in the Florida statutes that say like what a landlord is supposed to provide and what a tenant is supposed to do. But they, again, they're extremely bare bones. Yeah. So it may not be guidance. reflective of your values, of your desires for how your property is treated. Yes. Things like that. Right. Exactly. Cool. All right. So what is the difference in enforceability between like an oral and written lease? So let's start out with the presumption that both are enforceable. But the problem is that, you know, with oral agreements, if you've got to file an eviction lawsuit, now you've got to provide testimony to prove anything in court, sure. right? So that means it's going to be more prolonged. It's going to definitely require a hearing. Uh, it's going to require the judge believing you over what the tenant is saying. And because it's oral, it provides a lot of opportunity for saying, well, no, no, it was this amount of money that he told me to pay. No, it was this amount of money that I told him to pay. Right. So those he said, she said kind of uh, issues will come up if you rely on having an oral lease agreement. Yeah, it sounds like the eviction process would be longer and therefore more expensive 
Yes. If you don't have a written lease agreement. Yeah. And even if you decide to do like a DIY eviction, it's going to be more expensive because you're going to have somebody in your property longer that's not paying you rent. Sure. Sure. So we kind of discussed a little bit about, you know, the difference between an oral and a written. Um, Why is it recommended more so to have a written lease agreement than relying on the oral agreement? So... I would say that the reason why you want to have your terms in writing is because memories are terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Misunderstandings are frequent. I mean, just think about like uh, in a marriage, right? Well, you know, I asked you to do this. No, I thought you asked me to do this other thing, right? Just like misunderstandings are so commonplace. And each human being has a different filter in how they're hearing things sure. versus what the other party thought that they were saying. Now put this into a business agreement because that is what a lease is, right? So you're going to have a lot of issues there with memories and misunderstandings. And when you have an oral lease, it's a lot more likely to give defenses to the tenant precisely because of those memory issues and misunderstandings. Yep. Yep. That makes total sense. Um, Let's start getting into the actual lease itself. What are some key components that should be included in a lease agreement? So uh, I I know it's going to sound silly, but you definitely need to have clear parties to the lease. This is one big mistake that I see, right? They put in landlord and the landlord isn't the property owner or the property manager. They like put themselves individually, even though the, you know, the property is owned by their LLC. So now like it's an improper party there Ah, as a, you know, they might put the wrong people as tenants or they might only put in one of the adults as in the property as a tenant, but they forgot to put in the spouse as a tenant. Right, right. So if, you know, they break up and the person who's on the lease skips town. Right, exactly. Opens up a whole new issue. Precisely. So parties and then the terms of your lease, right? Like when does it start? When does it end? So often people focus on the start date, but they don't really focus on the end date. You need to be very clear about that. Mm-hmm. The uh, What rent is needs to be very clearly stated. And I'm talking about like, are you going to count, you know, delinquencies and attorney's fees and all of that as additional rent, for mm-hmm. example? Uh, security deposits, right? If you're not collecting security deposits, you are um, breaching your duty to your business. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, subleasing and whether your leases can be assigned, those definitely need to be discussed in the lease agreement. Do you allow subleasing? Do you not allow subleasing? Utilities. Who's going to cover utilities? This is one of the biggest uh, debated items whenever I've had to do evictions and under oral leases is, oh, well, I thought they were going to cover utilities. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't going to cover utilities. So this is a big yeah. one that needs to be clear. And I'm not paying until they cover utilities. Yes, yeah, we exactly. See that uh, maintenance and repairs, right? So who's supposed to do mm. maintenance? What kind of maintenance? Repairs, like is a tenant responsible for repairs up to a certain amount? Make that number very clear, right? Um, another one that's heavily missed is insurance and indemnification, Mm, right? So like if you have a tenant, right, you should have them have renter's insurance. And if something happens in the property, there should be a provision in there that says like they'll make you whole if it was their fault for somebody getting injured in the property because you will be the subject of that lawsuit. If you own the property, you're going to get sued if somebody gets hurt there. So indemnification provisions are really, really important. Um, And then I would say like, Attorney's fees and dispute resolution. What are the ways in which you're going to get recourse if your tenants breach the lease? Right. And it's fair to say that the Florida lease that that you get, your, your uh, default lease, we'll say, uh, does not cover these things. Um, so there's like, there's a Florida bar promulgated one. 
but it is definitely lacking in depth. Sure. Uh, so it's a it's a good place to start, but I would certainly modify it yep. to protect my interests. Okay. It's better than a it's better than an oral lease. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are there any specific clauses or provisions that landlords like really, really should include in their leases? So, you know, being that this podcast is available nationwide, I would say it depends on the state and the property that you have and the use for which the property is being leased, right? So if you're a commercial landlord, you should absolutely have custom tailored leases, yeah. right? Okay. Because commercial properties differ so greatly that it is it is key to make sure that it really does reflect what the property is, how it's being used, the industry and all of that. Yeah, yeah. There's, so there's a big difference between residential leases and commercial yes. leases. And then if you have residential leases, you know, don't miss things like having addendums about mold, or pets. pets 60, yeah, 68% of Americans have pets, you know? It's, wow. It's more likely than not that your tenant's going to have a pet. Uh, in Florida, pools and hot tubs, like, you need to have provisions as to that. There's a lot of risk involved in those. Mm-hmm. Um, if your property is located in a homeowner's association, you should have addenda reflecting that there's association requirements that the tenant needs to adhere to, right? Yep. Like, regarding parking and noises and all of that. Yep. So Smoking. Probably another big one yeah, that yeah. people miss. Yeah, so you shouldn't miss those things in your lease agreements, right? All right, so what about things that can't be added to leases? Because there's, you know, you may want something a certain way, but it may not, you know, it may fly in the face of Florida statute or something. Are there any things that you can think of that cannot be in a lease that you've seen? Uh, yes, discriminatory provisions. <laughs> <laughs> no Catholics! Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you cannot discriminate based on, you know, gender, race, sexual identity, um, national origin. So yeah, you can't discriminate, uh, because you know, the prospective tenants are Mexican. You can't do that. Sure. Uh, you will be in violation of federal law and state law. Um, and at the same time, you also got to remember, you cannot discriminate based on disabilities. So you have to be really careful in that line of service animals versus, uh, you know, assistance animals versus emotional support animals. Uh, and I talk about this in my book. Okay, excellent, excellent. Now, are there any like real consequences of including these illegal or unenforceable clauses in the lease agreement? Yeah. So some sometimes there can be like federal or state penalties involved. Sure. Um, there can also be fines, right? Uh, depending on the extent of the violation, you can also have like criminal consequences uh, that go with it. And then, you know, if you don't have the right provisions in your lease, when you've got an illegal or an unenforceable clause, it can sometimes render your entire lease agreement invalid. Wow. Okay. All right. So say that you don't want to rent to somebody, Mm -hmm. regardless of what the reason is. I know that you and I have talked a little bit about these letters that you can send out, denial letters that Mm -hmm. give them... uh, Give them a reason why they've been denied. Mm-hmm. Do you are you an advocate for that? Well, is that like a cover your butt kind of thing? So there's actually a law at the federal level call, um, that requires you to notify them of an adverse action. It's called an adverse action letter. If you, uh, for any reason, in part of the application process for a tenant. Used like looked up and did a background check or credit report. Really? Yes. So anytime that you've done a background check or a and, credit and report. you deny them and and any part of your denial is based on what came back. Yeah, you do have to give them an adverse action letter. And that's something that 
landlords may not know. Mm -hmm. So yep. that that's something if you're listening, make sure that you're doing this. If, if I mean, you should be pulling a background check. You should be pulling a credit report yes. as part of your process for, for getting a good tenant, Absolutely, right? absolutely. And so if you're going to deny housing based on those things, you have to, by federal law, you have to notify them mm -hmm. of the reasoning. Yep. Um, what are some of the implications of not having a lease agreement in place? Well, um, the biggest one, you know, it's like, it's, it's really, it's going to, it's like asking for costly and prolonged litigation to get someone out of your property, uh, which puts your property at risk of being damaged by a very angry, you know, tenant or former tenant. Um, it also puts you at risk of external litigation because, again, if somebody gets injured on the property and, and you don't have any written agreement that says the tenant bears responsibility in part for this, sure, it's going to be all under you. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, so... That the reality is, is that like not having a written lease agreement in place is just asking for being in the red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, we we touched on this a little bit earlier, but what are some of the major differences between residential and commercial lease requirements? So with residential, for example, um, you know the the condition of the property does have to meet the minimum requires under requirements under Chapter eighty three of the Florida statutes. Which what that means is that like. Things have to function, like plumbing has to be functional, heat has to be functional. Funny enough, not AC in the state of Florida. <laughs> uh, um, we use heat for those three days right, all year. Right. There's got to be uh, some, like, ex extermination of, uh, you know, like, vermin and that kind of thing involved. Um, and then if you do take security deposits, there's a very, very specific process for notifying them about you making a claim on a security deposit. So that is for residential. On commercial, it's a lot more flexible because with commercial leases, both parties are businesses. And so they're both presumed to have the, the savviness of understanding that they're entering into a business transaction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're a lot more likely to be negotiated. Um, and so you can actually pass along more of the cost to the tenant. So in a commercial lease transaction, you can say, Hey tenant, by the way, you know, at year five, you've got to replace the roof. Like, um, so commercial, far more flexible. And in the commercial side, there really isn't that much specificity relating to security deposits. It's a lot more flexible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, one question that we get a lot and maybe we can put this to bed right now. Can you put a provision in your lease agreement that says that, hey, if you don't pay the last month's rent, I can use your security deposit to cover it? Because we get that a lot, you know. Oh, the tenant moved out and they didn't pay, pay the last man, month's rent. Can I use the security deposit? And typically the answer is no. Well, you, yes. Actually, you can. But there's a downside to that. Okay. okay? Because if you put in a provision that says the tenant can direct that the security deposit be used for X, Y, and Z. You've just opened yourself up for that tenant not paying you last month's rent. And if you've got damages to your property, uh, when they vacated, you realize, oh God, it's gonna take like $3,500 to bring this up to par. Now you've missed out on that last month's rent and <laughs> you, yeah. you don't have any money left to, to make the repairs. So you should never make it so that security deposits can be compelled to be used for anything by 
from the tenant to the landlord, sure, okay? Sure. It should always be at the discretion of the landlord for what that gets to be used for. Okay. Uh, and that's where a lot of people, like, misunderstand the purpose of security deposit. Security deposit should not be for rent, but the landlord should have the flexibility to use it for rent if they want to, <laughs> but should not be forced to use it for rent. Okay. Because as we know, right, people vacate a place and you're like, oh, okay, I have to fill up that hole. I have to replace these cabinets. I have to replace the 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 big one uh, that a lot of people mess up. is like the oven and the microwave because mm-hmm. tenants don't know how to use that equipment. Carpets. <laughs> yeah, rugs. Yeah, all that, right? So it's, it's really essential to make that security deposit term not one to be used against you if you're a landlord okay all right um what are some uh, important considerations when drafting lease agreements for commercial land okay so for commercial tenants right you absolutely want to have insurance provisions that are solid make them have a ton of insurances that all relate to the kind of industry and business that they have uh in addition to like renter's insurance right you you just want to make sure that they have very, very good insurance as a business for errors and emissions, for um, things relating to the inside of the contents of the property. I mean, because think about it, right? You could be a tenant and and you have like a $100,000 machine in the lease premises. Well, if there's like a flood that happens from burst pipe, you don't want to be the responsible one for that landlord. You right. want them to have to fall on their own policy. Mm-hmm. One of the big uh, errors in these insurance provisions that I've seen is that they don't make it mandatory for the tenant to file a claim. You've got to require that. Otherwise, mm-hmm. your tenant will just sit on it. <laughs> and, and you can write that right into the lease. You can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you also want to make sure that you include like prohibited activities, right? So like no drinking, no gambling, no bringing guns to the commercial premises. You can you know, make a requirement as to that. Uh, you absolutely need to talk about subleasing. You don't want your tenants to think that they can just sublease to anyone. And like now you have a food truck at the front of like the parking lot because they thought it was okay to sublease. Right. Um, and then you also want to do take into account bankruptcy considerations for commercial leases. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, I mean, in the pandemic, we saw a lot of businesses closed down, right? A yeah. lot of um, restaurants were closing down and they didn't own the property where the restaurant was located. No, so yeah, it's all leased property. Right, they're leased. So what happens then is that your commercial tenant files for bankruptcy. So how do you get money for, you know, that them continuing to use the space? So you should have provisions dealing with the bankruptcy saying like, okay, you've got to assume the lease, reject the lease so that you know how you're going to get treated in the bankruptcy court because the bankruptcy process can take you know, years. Right, right. And you don't want to be out those years exactly. of rent. Exactly, exactly. Yep. yep. Um, this is one question that I see in a lot of the landlord groups and stuff like that. You know, they're fed up with their tenant and they're like, damn it, I need to change my lease. Um, and can a landlord change any of the lease provisions during the tenancy period? So a landlord... <laughs> can't normally unilaterally change lease provisions during an active tenancy period. But in a big legal way, right, it depends. Because right? <laughs> <laughs> if you've got an oral lease and it's month to month, well, this month's lease can be different from next month's lease. You just have to terminate the first one and then have new terms for the second month. Sure. You know, uh, you've got to do it timely. Um, one of the bigger things that people ignore is how often lease provisions do change during the the tenancy period because of waiver 
because of the act of waiver by one side or the other. Okay. Like, Can you explain that a little bit, what the yeah. act of waiver is? So, for example, let's say that um, your rent that you charge this person was $1,500 a month, okay? Mm-hmm. But they came up to you and they're like, hey, we're having a hard time, blah, blah, blah. Is it okay if we pay $1,400? Okay, fine. Now you're accepting $1,400. And they start paying just $1,400. Well, guess what? You both, by virtual waiver, have changed the lease terms to now it being $1,400 a month and not $1,500 Even if the, the written lease wasn't exactly. changed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Even if it was only supposed to be for that one month, hey, I'm 100 bucks yep. short this yep. month. If you kept accept it, accepting it, you've engaged in the act of waiver and you've modified your lease, right? Or let's say that um, tenant side, right? Tenant waiver modification. Um, they decided to repair the toilet thing themselves, right? And then next week the or next month, the tenant decides, no, I'm just going to do this little repair by myself. And they never go to the landlord to ask for the landlord to make repairs. Sure. Well, now you've waived who's got the responsibility for making repairs yeah. <laughs> because of your behavior. So you've got to be really careful in understanding that behaviors can modify lease agreements by becoming waivers of the terms even if they are written leases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of landlords out there want to be the nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to make their tenant upset, whatever the case may be. But it sounds like your recommendation for these types of situations is never waiver. Well, I would say, like, if if you're going to waiver, right, because there is a real, there is a true cost to acquiring a new tenant, mm-hmm. okay? There is an expense to that. It does take time. But be mindful that if you do waive a behavior, you are very quick to make that only a one-time thing and enforce your written lease provisions the next period to the letter. Otherwise, you are going to be completely modifying your lease to your detriment because oftentimes... uh, Landlords don't rent out a property to get a lot of profit monthly. Um, and as we see, you know, increases in, uh, taxes, increases in insurance, a lot of these people are working like just barely at break even mm-hmm. landlord side. Right? right. So anything that you waive is going to put you in the red. You can't be doing that to the detriment of your business. Right. 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 Um, how does the process of lease renewal negotiation typically occur? Ah, uh, so, uh, the biggest mistake, one of the, like the biggest, biggest mistakes that I see, um, landlords have is that they have leases with automatic renewals Mm, get rid of automatic renewal provisions like if there's anything you take out of this conversation do not have those terms in your leases yeah we've seen it where like the tenant could choose right to to renew uh, renew. like like, why the hell would you let somebody that's not the property owner decide to renew or not right it's it's absurd and by the way i'm staying right exactly (laughs) right so automatic renewals are absolutely terrible terrible for you if you're a landlord if you're a property owner you should make it so that it ends period and then you get to decide what are the terms that make this person somebody that can rent from you again Mm -hmm. right and there's no automatic like oh the lease will the rent will now be this amount or blah 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 no because you don't know market conditions can change so rapidly yes right and we've seen that like yeah. that the cost of a rental went from right. fifteen hundred right. to twenty three hundred that's then, a big difference and then you might have a slightly nightmarish tenant right that constantly asks for like repair or, or complains about this complains about that and like you don't want that person to be automatically renewed so behavior matters right and you have been given the opportunity to observe the behavior of the 
this tenant yeah, for the late over this period. period. Mm-hmm. And you might not want to renew from them, right? Uh, and then you also need to take into account, like, as far as your rental amount that you're going to charge for a new term, you know, do you need any upcoming capital improvements? You're going to have to replace that roof soon because otherwise you're not going to be covered by insurance. Yeah. Um, it, are the tax assessments going up? Because when you bought this, you bought it from somebody that had it homesteaded, but now it's the new year, it's an investment property, and the, the, you know, the county has reassessed it to be investment property, right? Right, yeah. So you've got to be really careful with renewal negotiations and, and treat them as if they were a brand new tenant all over again, right? get proof that they're working where they say that they're working, that they're making what they say that they're making. Uh, make sure that you update who their emergency contacts are. Make sure that you update who like their forwarding address people are too. It is really key to do it fresh. Yeah, I like the way that you put that, that you need to treat them like a new tenant. Even yep. if they're a great tenant, yep. mm-hmm. you need to treat them like a new one and re-verify, you know? Yes, because... Re-verify income, all this. Now, is there any um, restriction on a percentage of rent increase or anything like that? Because if somebody's staying there, and like we saw in the market over the last couple of years, you know, the rental uh, rates have really jumped drastically, mm-hmm. you know, um, the market rent and all that. So I think it's important that they, the landlords, take that to heart when you say that treat it like a new lease, but... If they're in a situation where they have auto renewal or anything like that, are there any restrictions on how much you can raise rent? So there were attempts at the at the different county or municipal levels to put rental caps on, right? Mm-hmm. Orlando tried doing this. A couple of other um, cities tried doing this recently. However, the Florida legislature, this is a, a relatively, uh, you know, property owner friendly state. Sure. So recently, uh, Governor DeSantis signed into law what states that know these uh, counties, municipalities cannot put rent control caps on, you know, increases in rent. It's not allowed. It's not okay. allowed here in Florida. Okay. All so, right. and that's effective July 1st. July 1st of this July year. July 1st of this year. All mm-hmm. right. So you have eight days. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, so how can a landlord ensure that they're in compliance with state and federal housing laws? Because they might be aware of state laws because mm-hmm. they're kind of in your face. You get your little renter packet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but the federal laws might be a little more challenging if they're not digging deep into them, right? Yes. So you you absolutely uh, need to have a good real estate attorney um, who is like your almost think of them as like a, your general counsel for your rental business. You need to have somebody that you can ask these questions of. Um, and and you, it's worthwhile having them on retainer. And then if you have like questions about like where to start, maybe you don't know what laws generally apply if you're a landlord, I would say start with my book, right? I cover those things. I talk about the ADA. I talk about those uh, adverse action letters. Um, So again, how to manage Florida rentals and win in court in less time and with less conflict. That's a wonderful place for you to know as a resource where you can begin to identify what laws apply to your rental business. Awesome. All right. So... And finally, what are three things a landlord must have in their lease agreement to ensure that they're protecting their rental investment? All right. So number one, have a really clear beginning and end term. Yes. Okay. <laughs> number two, have worthwhile security deposit requirements. Okay. Because 
trying to sue somebody for damages uh, once they've messed up your place and you had a $500 security deposit, good luck. It's like squeezing money out of a turnip. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and then three, no renewal provisions. Get rid of them. No automatic renewals in any of your leases. Yes. Yes. All right. So you heard it here. How to manage Florida rentals and win in court in less time with less conflict. There's going to be a link in the description of this episode where you can purchase your copy. She goes through every aspect of lease agreements, what needs to be in there, what cannot be in there, what should be in there. Check it out. Buy it on Amazon. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast application. And then tune in every Monday to get more tips on how to avoid investing's legal pitfalls and take your real estate business to the next level. You can also find us online at lcolawfl.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Legacy Academy FL.